the Constitution says that you have the ability to speak in most circumstances without mm-hmm. fear of retribution from the government. Like yeah. that, that is, that is who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, like your vote is this, you have the right to be free from uh, unreasonable search and seizure, like on and on and on. Like in addition to democracy, it's not just democracy that's on the ballot. It's the constitution that's on the ballot. Welcome to Good Guys Getting Better. I'm a virus-riddled Christian Hanley. Boat run. And I'm a recently virus-free John Borden. That's right. Yeah, the kids. The kids, man. Getting everybody sick. Like, look, we should have all learned from COVID that going unmasked to a party... I know. ...where the birthday child is four (laughs) years old is not a good idea. Turning four. Well, did I tell you what happened... Did I tell you what happened at the museum? No. Oh, uh, yeah, actually, you did. Yeah, yeah, I told you offline. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell everybody now. So, taking my son to the museum, waiting in line, because it's, you know, even though COVID's passed, there's the whole, you know, staggered entrance thing that's not too crowded all at once. And right there in line, dude behind my left shoulder coughs down my shoulder onto me. Then get into security, woman hacks in my face. And then we get through security and everybody around us is coughing. And I'm like, I, from now on, like train stations, airports, uh, you know, museums, any big places. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't want to be paranoid, but like, this is how I got sick coming back from a work trip, fly next to somebody who was sick. I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm getting so many of these like respiratory and, you know, head colds and other stuff and COVID. Well, I, I am... I'm kicking myself because at this point it should be just standard protocol. Like I'm, I've got work travel tomorrow and I have planned to be as sanitary and safe as possible. I'm going to assume that everyone has COVID if need be Mm -hmm. like, look, I don't know (laughs) if you guys do it. You know, sometimes it's worth the extra 30 bucks or whatever to go to a lounge and just be around less people. Like Mm. you can call it bougie or stuck up or whatever, but I'd rather I'd rather pay thirty dollars and not be miserable for days yeah. than to be like I'm gonna I'm gonna stand on business and I'm not paying to be around less people. Well, just do it. Well, just do it. Me. I, don't, yeah. I don't like people, so my natural posture is to avoid people. Like, <laughs> yeah. like the social distancing that was hilarious to me. It was like six feet. <laughs> I mean, that's that's standard. Right? Don't come. Hey. All right. <laughs> I, I was. Oh my I had lunch with someone this week, and later, latter half of this week, and mm. very, very lovely person, very, very close talker. And at first, oh, we were walking and talking. And at first, I was like, oh, maybe this person lost their balance a bit. And then mm-hmm. it just kept happening. And I had told this person <laughs> I just got finished being sick, and it it just it didn't matter. And I was like, look, you know, this is this is on you then. You know, like, look, I appreciate the conversation. This is actually great. But for your own safety and health, back up. <laughs> this is this is sounding very, very Curb Your Enthusiasm, very Larry David, very Seinfeld right now. <laughs> it's a close talker. It's a close talker. Exactly. One of my fa- those are some of my favorite uh, Larry David's. His, his comedy is hilarious. <laughs> All like, right, look, guys. Well... Me. I love talking too. It like it, it's a bad thing. Like I don't mind it, but at some <laughs> right. point it's just like, okay, our elbows have touched too much. 
<laughs> oh goodness all right well unfortunately we got some real news to get to so uh we were chatting offline and and we're you know looking over some of the headlines and it's like a, a crazy split screen right now with with biden i mean i last night i was texting you both and i had just heard you know an hour and a half prior in the past month domestically we have 353,000 new jobs reported in the US. At the same time, the what's been called the war in Gaza has just been escalating as running across the region. There was the attack on Tower 22, the US outpost where several service members were killed and many more, a couple dozen more were injured. And then now last night, which would have been Friday night this past week, um, we had all these the US strikes um, in, in Iraq and Syria. Um, that are allegedly strategic and surgical and all the right words, but you know could you know be seen as as sort of a tit for tat kind of expansion uh, of this war in the Middle East. So wanted to get you guys' take on that. I mean, we've been talking a lot about how Biden's posture in and around Gaza has been problematic here at home, but now it seems like a total split screen. On the one hand, this guy is just killing it in terms of domestic policy and completely messing up on foreign policy in a way that hurts him both with the progressive wing of Democrats and also, frankly, helps Republicans who are uh, opposed to, um, especially Trump's base, opposed to further U.S. Um, hostilities overseas. Well, I mean, I've, I've offered, you know, my, my thoughts on it in, in the, you know, as you said, the domestic policy is, was, you know, as, as we, were, we were warming up, if you will, before this uh, conversation, we don't um, warm up. We come in hot. We come right, in blazing you're hot. Right, you're right. We come in hot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah. So it's um, it's it's basically what's expected, right? And, you know, he, mm. he's a he's a he's a steady hand. He's he understands you know domestic policy. He's been doing it for a, a lifetime. Uh, mm. All he had to really do was unwind the foolishness of the last of the previous four years, and and I think he was able to do that for the for the most part because of how you know, foolish the, what happened over the last few years and how impermanent it was. Uh, so he was, a, he was able to undo a lot of that. And so, so mm -hmm. this was an expectation of anybody who was sound in their judgment. The foreign policy element, and, and this is what always is, is a kicker for me, is that you have, a, you have situations that decades, generations mm -hmm. of bad foreign policy have created. And you can't just mm. undo them overnight. You can't do them over a decade, frankly. The problem right. is that we have to begin with a process that we've never really, we we're not having a real serious conversation about. But we have to begin unwinding those policies that have existed for a generation that we've been executing in those regions of the country in order to really change the, you know, to, to use a term from 20 years ago, the hearts and minds of the people of that region so that they understand, so that first of all, we're, acting in good faith and two that they mm. understand that we're acting in good faith and then begin to, to to make build relationships that that have been broken for a long long time um so so what we're, so w with the inability to do that because that requires legislation that requires some real um thorough conversation throughout you know our entire uh, electorate we haven't really had that serious conversation so all we're doing is just continuing to tinker around the edges so to speak we're just trying to to you know, manage what we've what we've been left with, and that's to me that's what that's what that's the what the result of that we that we have is that no one no one person has the legislative uh, or the political capital 
to make real change right. in that region from our from our perspective. So we just keep messing with it and trying to manage it. And, and it's it's never going to be successful until we stay stop, hold up, let's change how we're looking at this and really make some real inroads in, in relationships there. That's my thought. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's not surprising. You know, like what what Biden is doing with the economy, I don't want to reduce it to something simple, but I'm not shocked. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is kind of what you expect. The foreign policy, as we've talked about quite a bit, like that's what's distressing to me, mm -hmm. right? Like it seems to me like, as I've said before on the pod, that he's attached to a a worldview and a moral universe that the sands have shifted underneath, mm. right? Mm. So good way of putting he, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Ukraine, you know, like you're on the right side of Ukraine. Like it's obvious. Like they are being victimized right. by someone that has no real reason other than it seems like they have decided that this is what they feel like doing. Mm. There are a lot of people that have made the same parallel with the Israeli government. And I want to keep making the distinction between the Israeli government and the Israeli people, right? Yes, like this is a government please. that has a, a very right. clear agenda and they are exercising that agenda. And Joe Biden looks like he is co-signing on that agenda. And that's problematic for him politically here. And it's going to be really hard to have that balance between the domestic, the domestic front being so positive whether it's jobs, mm -hmm. whether it's economy, whether it's the Fed this week deciding that they weren't going to raise interest rates yet again, they're looking to cut at some point in the future. Like from a domestic policy perspective, everything is trending in the direction that you want. Well, say that again? Say it's, what? Everything is moving in the direction that you want. Oh. Right now, uh, his biggest issue, and like there's a lot of reporting back in October, you know, at least a lot of analysis right. that his issue is going to be, um, am, is he going to get dragged into a multi-front war? Hmm. It appears right. that's what's happening. So rather than, you know, taking the, a stance and a, a clear and consistent moral stance, quite frankly, you can say whatever you want about politics, but to your average voter, I think that is where it's easy enough for you to make a complicated decision. Does this comport with the way that I see the world? And because mm -hmm. his worldview is inconsistent, and now he it appears to being he appears to be getting dragged into another multi-country, multi-front uh, war. Perhaps how do you explain it now? It's so much more complicated today than it was yesterday. So I think he and his team have a lot of thinking to do about forget just how we explain this. How do we do this? Mm. I do think right. that the electorate, especially the younger electorate, they are they are attached to words, but they're also attached to actions too. Hmm. You know, like, and they are more empowered with their vote in that they expect that when they speak with their vote, that what they speak is going to happen. And you can say what you want about, you know, millennial, I am a, you know, geriatric millennial, I guess, <laughs> and Gen Z. Being yeah. in, in, entitled and acting entitled and spoiled, but one thing is for sure, uh, they are more confident and have more agency when it comes to exercising their vote. And I think right. everyone should take it seriously. Elaborate on that a little bit. I, I, I want to make sure I understand that point. You said they're, they're more competent or confident. I, I may have missed the word. Confident. Confident with their vote. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, so so I, and I thought that's what you said, I guess. 
But you know, to me, I'm I'm, I'm thinking when you said that, I immediately talked popped into my head i'm like okay is that a good thing here's here's what i will say to it? <laughs> uh, there there might be there mm-hmm. might be but think about it this way when i first voted the internet was still relatively new right mm-hmm. like it existed there was tons of information sharing but it wasn't the wellspring of all human information the history of human information that it is now right so between 2000 and 2024 the amount of information that is in in your pocket at all times, I, I don't know the math to, to to describe how much it's grown, but this is a world this is the only world that they know. The, they can anecdotally their- anecdotally the, the, the thing that I've heard is that humans have created as much data. So whether it's written, video, audio, whatever, as much of that in the past fifteen or twenty years as we had from the dawn of writing up until about 2003 or four. Yeah. I think I've heard that as well. Yes. It's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and the other important thing too, that you just said, John, not to interrupt, but I think we have to underline what you're saying before you continue is that, is that phrase in your pocket. Hmm. When, when right. we were, you know, first time voters, you know, it was not the same thing. You were not getting videos from halfway across the world within seconds mm-hmm. in your pocket. You could have caught something on the news later, or you could have seen a video clip eventually that somebody uploaded painstakingly to the internet, but you weren't getting things immediately on social media in your phone. There are people that are listening, that are going to listen to this podcast or that are listening to it right now, just because of a hashtag. Yeah. Right. 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 That, that, that didn't exist in 2000. That didn't, that didn't exist in 1991. Like it, it, it was the the internet was something that was literally a closed network. So, so I'm, right? I'm accepting your premise entirely. I, I, I think I think it makes uh, makes a lot of sense. I guess for me though, I, I'm I'm interested in sort of uh, diving into what all that means, right? And and I, mm-hmm. I, I I immediately jump to this is a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, not not inherently, but because of what it's created, I, we've created monsters out of ourselves, right? What we've done, we've created a bunch of people who think we know everything or at least can get access to everything we need to know at the drop of a hat or, or you know, at the, 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 at the swipe of a phone. And that's not – information is not the sum total of knowledge, right? Information is point. just where yeah. it starts, right? And then, then understanding all of the information you have, being able to analyze it and process it and, and form it into – useful opinions and actions is an entirely yeah. different process that I don't think we're, we're learning anymore. Right. We're, we're struggling with that part. And we have, we lack now the humility to understand that we don't get that. So, so we, we, we mm-hmm. all, all of us, 300 million monsters running around here with all this information and, and no analytical skills. Like that's well, this, right. It's, this, it's information. It's not, it's not knowledge. Yeah, yes, exactly. Well, I mean, like, look, if you want to really go back, I mean, Plato talked about this, you know, over 2000 years ago, you know, like knowing something is a process, right? When you, when, when you are first introduced to information, you don't know it. It is just something that you have been given, Sure. but to totally know it requires an intimacy. Like, you know, his mm-hmm. language is something to the effect, like it becomes a part of you. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not what we're having. We are closer to sophists than we are to knowledgeable people, if I were to continue with the analogy. Right. So I, I agree with you, Lee, but also that goes back to what we were talking about uh, offline. That's leadership. 
Mm. Right. So now that we have this information, what are we going to do with it? Like, you know, if we talk about infrastructure, are we going to are we going to build better trains? Are we going to build a smarter electric grid? Are we going to find different ways to build the next generation of uh, citizens? Like that is that is not the conversation we're having. Society at times feels like it is about I'm one one piece of information more current than you, not even better. Just one piece of information more current sure. than you. No, and, and I mean, these are all reasonable critiques, and I totally agree with everything you said so far, John. My concern, though, is I think that it, it gets us into another iffy territory where, you know, you have uh, whether it's the Biden administration or, frankly, less so the Biden administration and much more um, different commentators and groups and, and spokespersons who are attacking young and first-time voters saying that all they know they know from tiktok okay well we can get into a, an academic debate after the fact about knowledge versus you know knowing a fact or or you know whether or not someone can actually develop an informed opinion if all they're doing is reacting to the latest news that's fine but at the end of the day someone who is 18 years old and got their information or misinformation or whatever the hell it is from their smartphone their vote counts as much as an 80-year-old who's lived that many more years and who got their information and knowledge from a combination of television, radio, and, and paper books. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful conversation to have, but from a political standpoint, from the reality of it, we have to meet people where they're at. And in the case of young voters and the peril that the Biden administration is in, it, it, we, there's, there's no way you're going to persuade anyone by saying to them, especially young people, hey, I love your enthusiasm, but let me pat you on the head here. You know, you're wrong because your information source is crap. Mine is better. <laughs> That's not persuasive. That's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with you at all. You know, what I'm saying from a messaging perspective to tie it all yeah. back is that that's, that's exactly what he has to do. You know, like mm -hmm. the, his messaging has to be multi tiered, but there has to be, I think, again, a clear. What do you stand for? Like, mm -hmm. and it can't just be the economy. Yeah. Right. Right. Like that can't be it. It has to be more than that. Yeah. And right now it, I, all of the news, the good news that I hear, and I think it's a good thing is about the economy. And I think that's great. You know, mm -hmm. the, the price of, of groceries is at, at least holding, I, I'm mm -hmm. gonna, but I'm going to challenge that notion though, for a second, I think, what you stand for is not necessarily going to resonate with enough people that it that it makes the difference. I don't know that that, for example, you know, Trump doesn't really stand for anything. He just has a one hundred percent. He does, huh? One hundred percent. He does. No, but his his platform is a bunch of grievances. It's not standing for. Well, his, yes. No. No. No, no, I disagree. Well, explain, his platform, explain. his plat, his his position is make America great again, and you fill in the blank. That's a that's a, that's a slogan though, John. It's not really a position. But well, it but works. It, it doesn't oh, agree. But it works. No, that that's my point. Is that, that it's nebulous though. It's not really right. Important. Exactly. <laughs> so that's why my point is that when when you say stand for something, I'm thinking substantive, right? I'm thinking this that it was like I, I peace on on earth, you know, or, or you know, or. Or, or uh, we're, 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 we're years, we're years past substance, man. I mean, if you want to get substance, you have to find a way to a vehicle through which to deliver it. I mean, that's, we're past that. And that's the problem. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's the problem is that you don't need 
substance. And so, so again, so when, when he said, when he say, uh, when he say uh, stand for something, I'm thinking substance. And maybe that's not mm. what he meant. But the, but the, but the point is, is that you don't have to stand for anything substantive. You just have to stand for something that makes you popular, whatever it may right. be. If you could say, I feel like potatoes should be on every table every night, and that resonates with 51% of the, of the electorate, there you go. That's good enough. You know, it's, it's nonsensical, but it's what gets people to vote. So the question becomes, what is it that people want to hear from him? That's really the question. It doesn't I, matter what he's well, doing. I, I, but I'm not, I'm not in a position to answer that. What I'm saying is he needs something. Yeah. If I were to put that back on you, mm. what, what is his worldview? What does he stand for? I, I want that. <laughs> I mean, but thus far, what 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 made a lot of people, myself included, very nervous um, in the last election was he he ran on democracy. And I thought at the time that was way too nebulous to use your word. Uh, I thought that was very dangerous. I thought that for a lot of people who are not wrapped up in um, the day to day of, of Washington, who are who are middle class or working class, who are, you know, trying to live their lives and that occupies all of their time and headspace. Thought that was a huge gamble, but it paid off, and enough people did hear that message, and um, you know he prevailed. I, the concern I have, though, is when we get back to what's going on right now, is that we can't compare the coalition that will reelect Biden with Trump supporters. They're not two sides of the same coin at all. Yeah, One is far more homogenous and will jump for something as nebulous and as void as as or vacuous as something like make America great again. Biden has to balance a gajillion different interests. Exactly. And, you, you know, you, you talk about you always hear about like the progressive versus moderates. It's more than that. I mean, you've got a president who is expected by a lot of the establishment of his own party to back Israel wholeheartedly to bring a full circle. And then at the same time, I share with you both that Washington Post article out of Michigan, where Biden won his last uh, election by what was it about 150,000 votes mm. all in for all of that state's electoral votes. And you now have a coalition of people building up there of of Arab and Muslim Americans who are trying to not reelect Trump but not reelect Joe Biden because of what's going on in Gaza. In a two-party system, again, we can't be condescending, but I'm like, come on. But I mean in that in that same piece though, out of 150,000 votes that got him uh, Michigan's electoral votes, 30,000 of those came from Dearborn, which mm. is the heart of um, those communities in that state. Sure. So if those votes are lost and then you factor out for everybody else in that state who might not vote Biden again, whether for those issues or completely unrelated issues – it's not a big leap from there to another 110,000. Yeah. Or 120. I mean, like, like, my, only, my only thought on that is like, what do you expect them to do? You know, like if they're watching mm -hmm. helpless from you pick your town or city in Michigan mm -hmm. and they are watching what seems to be an apathy towards their, their emotional suffering and the physical suffering and death of the people that yeah. are like them. And in many cases, their family, I, how, so, how can you how can you how can you expect them to then want to vote for Joe Biden? This is where I go back. Aleem, if you just give me a second, this is where I go back to um, what I said, you know, last time we were together. Mm -hmm. He has to do something like he has to. Yeah. It, it has to start with the narrative, but it is it is cutting so deep 
that they that it is generating apathy or it's generating like we have to vote for someone else. Like we're going to mm-hmm. exercise our vote. We don't want to lose it, but you're yeah. going to effectively lose it if it's not a vote for Joe Biden. And that is an awful mm-hmm. position for people to be in. And I think Joe Biden needs to at least at least start with the gesture saying, like, look, I think I've put everyone in a tough position. And I, this I'm not a political strategist. Right. So I get the freedom of saying what I want. <laughs> but he's got to reconcile that he's put people in a, an impossible position so so okay so so here so here's the thing you asked the question what do you do so now you know as as an engineer i have the benefit of of thinking clinically about some of this stuff and say well you do a risk analysis right you 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 look at cost and benefit but in a in a real sense that's really what you have to do first step you say okay well what is the effect of us not voting for biden and biden losing and then you 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 have to examine the alternative and what the alternative is saying and how they feel about those people who are, who are you who are you caring so much and who we all care so much about and what would happen to them if the other of the opposition gets in that should be the first trigger right there then you say okay well what other than not voting for biden can we do then it requires you to examine what the american political system is built how, how it's built and then you say okay well we, we third third step we have to form a coalition that has a voice that so we can actually mold policy in the party that actually has uh, uh, some some leanings towards what we're looking for, what we're trying to accomplish, and then you form that coalition, you lobby, you 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 work within the system that that exists. You don't just throw it out the window and then screw those people even more by putting someone in office who really could care less if they lived or died. That's really what we're dealing with, you know. So right, but I mean, like, if you're, but and not to cut you off here, but like, I, I hear what you're saying. But for one thing, most people aren't engineers. <laughs> Their, their politics don't come down to that sort of rational thinking. And I, you know, as much as I kind of had my moment a second ago about, you know, it's a two party system, you know, mm-hmm. what do you want? I ultimately, John is correct. Mm-hmm. If these people are, are in Michigan are seeing people who are cousins. I mean, the article that I, I share with you both in the Washington Post, you're talking about the, the, the first person interviewed in that article. He's, he's seeing familiar names, people he, he might have known on the list of dead. In the first paragraph, and says like I I I couldn't read it. It took me a week to read through the list of of people who were killed, confirmed killed. Mm. If if that's your reality, and you're seeing things like that, and and it, you know there are people on both sides who have been killed and grievously injured, certainly. Mm-hmm. But let's be like very clear: the way that their lives are evaluated in national and international media, they're not treated equally. And you're feeling like, okay, like I, what's left, our very lives themselves don't matter as much as other human beings. Our lives just are, are throwaways. Like at that point, how are you expecting someone to make that sort of a clinical choice? I'm not sure that's a reasonable expectation. Well, I mean, when, when I guess you have to consider the alternatives in some way, shape or form. It's like you, you understand mm-hmm. where the blame has to be placed, right? And yeah. and it's not simply on the the president that's in office. That's not that's not mm-hmm. where all the blame is placed because there are certain things that that person can and cannot do. There's certain things that another person in their position can and cannot do. So mm-hmm. you have to understand that first, and then say, okay, well, what is the most effective course of action? They, there is no there is no scenario by which there is a success path. That says, okay, saving these people, helping these people that are suffering is starts with getting rid of Joe Biden. That's not that doesn't 
that doesn't jive with history. That doesn't jive with, mm-hmm. with the facts that we that we know. You know, there's nobody unless there is another candidate that you're voting for that has any reasonable opportunity or or, or chance of winning that says mm-hmm. we're going to immediately stop this killing. Then that doesn't make any sense. You have to vote for someone. You know, so you have to choose. You someone has to be selected. So it's a matter of which mm-hmm. person that you're most comfortable is going to serve the 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 purpose that you're that you're looking to serve. But like, oh, look, look, I don't I don't disagree with you at all on any of that. I'm simply saying that the the methodology, I just can't expect people to to actually employ. I totally get your point about you have to pick, and it's a binary choice. I I totally respect that and agree with it. But I do think that the the underlying emotional issue that that John first brought up is real, and mm. and we have to acknowledge that. Sure. Like, look, I I was listening to. NPR on a Saturday morning on the eve of the 2016 election. And this was in a period of time. Was that, where... was that with your cappuccino or is that before? <laughs> or, or is that? I was, I was, I was on my way to work. Actually, it was Saturday morning. I was on my way to work. It was, I, uh... I had to get the dig in. You, you, you dropped and you name checked NPR. I had, I had to, you know, come on. But I had to say in all seriousness, this, this was one of the most illuminating and thought-provoking pieces. I think it was, I'm going to say her name wrong, but it was like, me, me, I forget. At any rate, the article... Beautiful name, And this was during the... Yeah, I, know, I forget. <laughs> I forget. Um, I'll have to look it up. But at any rate, this was What's in that face? time, this was probably shortly after the Access Hollywood tape, and mm. everyone was just kind of feeling like, look, Donald Trump was just stumbling to an epic loss. Mm-hmm. You know, and there was this air of complacency and this this interview the conclusion was basically like you shouldn't take for granted why people feel the way that they feel about this country right now what they aren't saying is that they feel many of the people that were supporting donald trump at the time they feel like they are being left out and mm-hmm. they feel for one reason or the other like it could be that they don't have the education it could be that the economy doesn't favor them it could be that there is a greater influx of people that look different or speak different or sound different. And you can't ignore the fact and dismiss the fact that this is how people feel. And and it would be unwise to not make gestures to say, hey, I see how the economy is leaving you behind. I see how education is too expensive. Healthcare is too expensive. I see why you, you pick the number of things that impact the daily lives of Americans that don't have the ability to think as clinically as, as you do, Ali. And I think Joe Biden's message is one that worked for a long time, but I don't mm-hmm. think it resonates now. Like it's a very blue collar, I'm one of you, let's rub elbows message, mm-hmm. but it's cloaked in so much history. And it, like, you know, and it's great again that he got the the nod from the uh, UAW. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. great. But, you know, like when he says, you know, I'm, I'm a blue collar guy or whatever platitudes he lose, uses to give uh, a signal to blue collar America, it just doesn't hit the same because I think things have changed. You know, and mm-hmm. I think, and that's before you even get to the politics, mm-hmm. right? Like Barack Obama, he said, I'm, you know, I want to start to ease this economic gorilla that everyone walks around with with healthcare. Like that should be something, no pun intended, but that should be something that's universally agreed. Like that's something we should move. And obviously he still was able to accomplish it. He was still able to pass it. It was more impactful than than perhaps we will ever realize, um, but it was still politicized. 
And I think Joe Biden, the challenge for him and for Kamala Harris, who we talked about last time, is, okay, how do you then humanize this? How do you take how do you take it down from here to here and make it in a way that you're not just saying stuff to sound folksy and relatable, but that you're saying, I hear you. And mm-hmm. the same applies, I think, when you go to Michigan. Like, I, I put you guys, like, at some point, this is just me. And I know an Amer- American presidents don't, presidents don't do this. You could ask for forgiveness. Like, I think at some point, you have to have some sort of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I heard someone once say that one of the things that helped propel South Africa forward was reconciliation, truth and reconciliation. Like, this is what happened, mm-hmm. and we now mm-hmm. t- we need to be reconciled. And I don't know when the right time for that is, and I quite frankly don't know if it's something that Joe Biden will do. But I think the moment that he embraces some sort of reconciliation, some sort of formal request for forgiveness, it changes things. And you could, he could, they're layups. You know, like, you know, he just made uh, Juneteenth a holiday. Mm-hmm. But did he... I, I could be mistaken, but did you ask for an apology <laughs> to the descendants of the enslaved people? Um, you, you see, I think uh, Clinton did that actually. A f- a formal apology. Yeah, I, 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 no, yeah, I think Clinton. I think Clinton did do that. Yeah, point yeah. of, point of okay. just just a point of reference. I, I'm just trying to. Yeah, remember. yeah, I think he did that. And, and good. I, I think I'm what actually, happens, wasn't, I think that so. wasn't a big deal to me because I, I'm not big on apologies. You know, <laughs> like 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 they need to apologize for. I mean, people often do that because it's like that doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> don't solve the problem. It takes action. But anyway, but but, yeah, but, no, I, I but, but reconciliation mm-hmm. in my mind, like one, that's just how I roll in general. Like I do think when you do something wrong, you need to ask for forgiveness. I think that's a healthy habit to have. Mm-hmm. Of course. But two, when it comes from the office of the president, that's something totally different mm-hmm. because then you can have action. Like if, if Joe Biden can, with a swipe of a pen, start to erase student loan debt. Mm. Imagine the other things that he can do, yeah. right? And like this is where that that moral worldview that I think he needs to start drawing from needs to come clear because right now it doesn't seem like it's hidden. Yeah, no, no. I, so, so all, again, all of what you're saying, I, I don't disagree with that. I guess I'm struggling with how to appease everyone who he needs to vote for him. And and what message mm-hmm. would resonate with everyone? But but I think and I and I think as I say that I think I come I'm coming to some sort type of solution is that just expressing true uh, understanding and specific compassion that might be that yeah. obviously that's a start. I think that's the the the, the re- truth and reconciliation piece that you're talking about, John. Is that you have to acknowledge the the the, the struggles that each of these uh, groups of people are enduring. Uh, who who are aggrieved, right? And I think um, he, I think Joe Biden tries to do that. He he's a little bit clumsy in that process at times, but mm-hmm. I think that's purely a generational thing uh, and and age in yeah. general. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't resonate. But I think a large part of why it doesn't resonate is because the the other the opposition always diminishes it, right? They'll come and say, oh well, you know, there's a yeah. counterpoint, there's a counter argument that that tosses it that. That places it, it. It doesn't just stand out there in, in, in a statement or or a campaign speech where we address his concerns. Doesn't just stand out there in by itself. It always just like the State of the Union is always followed up by, you know, the the, the opposition having something <laughs> the sacrificial. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like okay, well, um, so so that that always adds makes it challenging. But I think ultimately, mm. and I, maybe I have more confidence in 
how the written word, how effective the written word can be. But I think if we just maybe write more effectively uh, uh, these types of statements and these types of, uh, uh, of conversations, maybe they'll, maybe they'll resonate better with people. Because a lot of times, and that, this is a, a side micro issue, but I, I'm disappointed in our, in our, um, in, in, the, in the prepared statements that we make as, as, as in our executive branch of government and in, in the legislative branch. It's that sometimes it just, they just don't hit hard. They just don't, they don't go well. You know, Obama, I, he was well, sanitized. Was that? It's sanitized. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's the other problem of having to appeal to so many different constituencies, right? Is that you, you do have to, to balance things to the point of maybe just being milk toast. But I think that, you know, when we're talking about, so let's kind of break it into different sections here, different, different areas, like with the economy, he needs to be shouting that from the rooftops and maybe not him, but maybe sir gets, um, you know, that needs to be very clear because right now there are still people going on Fox news, going on YouTube, going on all these different digital outlets saying that, well, things were just vaguely generally better under Trump. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, 353,000 new jobs in one month, no toilet paper on the shelves. We we (laughs) cannot be having this debate anymore. Like that, that needs to be, pounded every single day just made incredibly clear Mm -hmm. in terms though of of balancing the the interests of the many different constituencies around foreign policy you're talking about young voters who are very concerned about um palestinians and human rights you're talking about a lot of jewish americans who are very concerned about anti-semitism and about what happened on october 7th in israel um you know it seems almost impossible to thread that needle. I don't think it is. I think it's very clear and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's difficult, but it's not complicated. Two different things. I think in that case, you're talking about having to be a lot more public. And I know where we talked about this a week or two ago, be a lot more public with the frustration around Netanyahu's government. I mean, he's been in and out of power for decades now moving that country farther and farther to the right. He's now got a coalition government filled with these right-wing nut jobs in Tel Aviv. I mean, enough is enough. It's, it is entirely possible to be on the side of de-escalating violence, on the side of human rights, on the side of coming to an agreement, a peace agreement, and saying, look, we stand against together against anti-Semitism. We stand together for human rights. We stand together for human life and for peace. This guy's an asshole. He needs to like to back down and you know, whatever it is. I mean, it, it can be calibrated in a million different ways. I, and I know I'm, I'm speaking in very broad strokes here, um, but I, I think that, that <laughs> there needs to be some daylight between the U.S. administration and the current government in Israel. There just needs to be. Yep. It needs to be clear that while we support democracy and we support human rights, that doesn't give this one guy and the horrible people he's chosen to surround himself with, it doesn't give them a blank check. Mm -hmm. I think that'd go a very long way to make that clear. And now's the time because they've showed how bad they managed that check, that blank check. So now Mm -hmm. would be the time to jump right in and say, okay, well, let's, let's, let's put a little space between us now, but, I don't know how effectively he's tried. I mean, by just trying to make statements and do do that, it's just it's not. I don't know. It's not enough. But uh, I don't. I don't think I, I have a radical idea. I'm just going to completely just throw something at the wall here. Do I it. think you should have a pod. I think you should have a podcast. <laughs> right? Oh, by no, seriously. He, yeah, oh, I agree. Here's why. I agree. Yeah. 
here's why like it doesn't have to be videoed you mm-hmm. know it can be whatever but you know he sits down he has someone you know once a week once a month just interview him you know just ask him questions and like he can edit it all of his want all he wants i think biden's strength is actually what comes from his heart mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. his challenge yes. is that you know what is you know his prepared marks like he's got to summon a different kind of energy to give those prepared marks mm-hmm. remarks in a way that makes sense and at mm-hmm. that point, you're relying on speechwriters. And I'm not, shout out to all the speechwriters because they have an impossible job because yeah. they got to speak with somebody else's voice. Yeah, it's tough. I know it as some yeah, you know, I wonder people what write like. stuff for me. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know it. And like, I know it because, you know, at the risk of sounding immodest, people write stuff for me all the time to share, to read. Like, mm. I, mm-hmm. it, it is challenging. And it's challenging because I have to edit it too. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I think he should have a podcast. And what Donald Trump did. You know, if you again, if I could be channel my inner uh, Aleem and be an engineer, <laughs> the brass tacks is that he found a way to speak directly to the American people without filters. Mm-hmm. Now, what came out is <laughs> not something that I think was helpful, mm-hmm. right? But it was unfiltered, it was unvarnished, and that resonated with mm-hmm. people. I think I'd much rather want to hear what Joe Biden has to say from his heart, even if it's once a month. You know, mm-hmm. like, hey, oh. like, I know you got all this, and I know that he's got. Where where it's not an apples to apples comparison because I don't think Donald Trump has the same basket of information that Joe Biden has. Mm. Like I can't see a world where the information that he received to make decisions was just in the same volume or content. I just don't think he could handle it based on all the reporting that has come out from that White House. Mm-hmm. It is not what he wanted. Like he wanted the most easy to digest snippet. And from that, he would just kind of run with it. But actually making decisions, it it didn't seem like he had the capacity to do that. I think Joe Biden, in a much different way, in the same way that his Democratic predecessors have done, you know, it's like, okay, I've got I've got a responsibility to make good decisions. I need all the best people giving me all the best information. I need all the best resources so I can make ultimately the best decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think the weight of that, it hits a little bit different. That aside, I'd still love to just, hey, just once a once a month so so i like let's just sit down and have and, and i'm sorry just let me just put a, a, a lean to start to cut you off but it's not like it's a radical idea uh who was it that had the fireside chats at camp yeah, david fdr fdr, FDR, FDR right. chats yeah right you know so like it's this is not a novel idea and it was really effective like it's what was called for at the time and fdr mm. you know no. obviously had a whole bunch of things that he was dealing with so you, you know anyway lean you were gonna no, say no 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 honestly I, I agree 100 I, mean, I remember um during obama's first term I, I said something very similar about i feel like he just needs to he needs to have a show you know a, a podcast wasn't in my mind at the time i was like he needs to have a weekly <laughs> or monthly show where he goes on and discusses ideas right and concepts of of why 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 is healthcare the healthcare uh proposal looking like this and what will this accomplish mm-hmm. then i then it evolved i said well maybe he can do a debate where he brings experts on both sides of, of a topic that he's trying to get the american public to to pay attention to him and 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 I, I, anything to get a conversation to to bring us out of the speculation and and falsehoods into real conversation and real discussion and real debate with real facts you know, so that I feel like I 100% think that's a great approach. But here's one thing, and Christian, you might have some insight on this. I personally feel like our politics has evolved, have evolved so much that the old notion of staying positive and putting out positive mm. messages, i.e. what I have accomplished versus what my predecessor or what the other has not, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's where American, the American public is anymore. 
I think we're very much negative. We, we want to hear the negative. Mm-hmm. Think about Donald Trump. He has been so popular purely because he's negative and he only talks about the negative stuff. So so the, I think you have to counter that and you have to attack him. You have to and not personally mm-hmm. necessarily, even though I think it would no, be, definitely personally. Yeah, so so yeah. many of the things that are personal for him really were, in fact, legal issues. So that mm. they're on. They're not off limits, in my opinion. Yeah. But but I'm not even talking. You can stay entirely away from the personal legal issues and just talk about what he did when he was in office, and just talk mm-hmm. about how bad each and every one of his policies were that he that he passed, and that maybe not all of them, but 99 percent of them. Talk about what impact they had. Talk about how they they negatively affected uh, the the traje- trajectory of our GDP. Uh, you know uh, the COVID response, mm-hmm. all of that. Talk about that. And don't let mm-hmm. people forget that because in four years people have forgotten that they've forgotten that. Aline, he didn't come that, in. That, he didn't come in with a bad economy and fix it. He came in with a, a great economy and made it worse. People don't right. remember that. You, you know, you clearly don't pay attention to Truth Social. <laughs> Are you familiar with Dark Brandon? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Dark Brandon. Oh yeah, I don't like, I, I, I think what you're describing isn't even negative. What you're describing Truth. is just <laughs> it's, it's right. <laughs> These are facts, yeah, yeah. you know, so and I don't think I don't think Christian Christian and certainly I'm not saying that you need to just have rose colored glasses on every time you talk about it. But I do think that you need to have a worldview to draw from when conflict happens. Like, mm. you know, I had a, a one of my former bosses, you know, he said, like, filter everything through the mission. Mm. Right. I use that today at work. Mm. You know, like when a conflict happens, mm-hmm. when COVID happened. Okay, how are we going to deal with COVID? How are we going to, you know, steer the ship? I would tell people all the time, we're going to filter it through our mission. Like that's going to give us our mm-hmm. guide point. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to give us our guide, our guardrail. Absolutely. I think, mm-hmm. I think that that's what I'm describing. And I think as it pertains to campaigning, I think in terms of reminding people, I think that train is starting to pick up speed, right? And again, I would, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can only imagine how this is going to play out in some of the comments. But you just I, I'm not on Truth Social and I will not go on Truth Social, but I do read about some of the things that go on from the Dark Brandon account. And it is trolling at its finest. Like yeah. it, the fact that he's on it and he's got like these red eyes and like this really white opaque face and a black background and <laughs> Oh, have you seen have you seen his new his new um campaign TikTok with the mug? No, which one? Oh my god. So they this might have come out this past week, I think. But he did this um, this reel or TikTok where it's like, you know, it's if you donate X amount of money, you'll get a, a mug in the mail. Right. And, <laughs> and so it's a coffee mug and you pour your hot coffee in. And as it gets hot, his face turns into dark Brandon and then it starts to shoot laser beams out of his eyes. <laughs> that's exactly what is. That's exactly what's going through the social. That's it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And Aleem, to your point about about the negative, I'm not sure, like John said, I'm not sure it's strictly about negative. Mm -hmm. And what Republicans are afraid of, especially those who who do not like Trump because they know his track record. I mean, let's let's like look back. What election has he won for the Republicans since he took the White House? No, no. Like midterms, the presidential in 2020, like nothing. Right. He's lost everything. And they know that if you make the election about him, you will lose it. So it's not even about positive versus negative. If you focus on Joe Biden, then that allows space for Trump, 
for Truth Social, for Fox News, for Newsmax, for all these right wing nut jobs, you know, your your um what's his name? Charlie Kirks and all these these guys. It'll it opens a space for them to attack Biden and to, you know, talk about him being too old and too slow and and messing up his words. Never mind the fact that their guy cannot complete a coherent sentence. He's like out of his mind crazy talking about you know, bing, 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 ding, dong, while he's trying to talk about, like, you know, weapons being fired up and, and insane things that he's doing in real time in his, I would call them speeches, but I don't know what to call them, his, his, <laughs> his diatribe utterances, his, his utterances, right? Utterances, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, when you, when you make it about one versus the other, whether positive or negative isn't the point, it's the fact that if you make it about Biden at all, you open a window for taking incoming fire. You make it about Trump and only about Trump. Like, don't even just leave the who have the Democrats have just leave that off to the side. You make it about Trump and who he is and what he's done uh, and what he's saying right now in real time. And that will that is the most effective thing. It's again, it's not about being so much negative versus positive. It's just pointing and being like, is this what you want? Yeah, yeah. Like, is, is this what you want? <laughs> exactly you know and and he's digging himself a hole he honestly is not that i look this this election is not in the bag i'm not saying that at all i don't don't take it that way but the more he doubles down on dumb stuff i mean let's be real 90 plus percent of the time he's basically incoherent but those few times he does come to a point and i know it's rare it's to say things like the fact that he single-handedly packed the supreme court to overturn roe versus wade I mean, you saw the off-year elections this past go-around with Kentucky, with Ohio, with Virginia. Whether abortion was directly on the ballot or not, when it was on the ballot, people voted in favor, including swing voters, including conservative white men in some cases. Mm -hmm. Not always, of course, but in some. And in the case of Virginia, I don't believe it was directly on the ballot as a question. I, I have to double-check that. Um, but th they won back another chamber of, of their um, state state legislature. So for Democrats, so, you know, he's he's doing a lot of that work for you if you keep the cameras on what he's doing and show how negative it truly is. Yeah, I mean, I think. Even though we were critical of Nikki Haley on this pod, I think that the messaging coming out of her campaign now, in short, is just calling him a loser. Yeah, well. What he is, incoherent yeah. loser. That's and, yeah. and, and you facts to back it up. <laughs> so, yeah, like, he is like, yeah, yeah. So the problem is the problem with with Haley's campaign. I mean, there's a lot of problems, and she, she doesn't listen to anybody clearly. Um, but it's not so much. I mean, there are problems with her campaign in terms of messaging, in terms of structure, in terms of a lot of stuff. But um, what Christie's campaign and its its um. I guess I can say failure shows is that at least in the primary electorate, the GOP primary, those voters, like what, what electorate is that? What audience do you have there? If the one person who came out right in front and was like, look, I know this guy, I've worked with him. He did X, Y, and Z. There are these court cases. I used to be, you know, the U S attorney. I can tell you how this is going to go. That's going to go. And that's going to go. And, you know, five people showed up, everybody else booed him. Mm. I mean, that's the problem. And so what Haley did that we all made fun of her for was she tried to equivocate. 
You know, she tried in Iowa and then she got up on stage like she won the damn thing. Uh, then she went to New Hampshire and New England state that is, uh, yeah. look, it's an anomaly in terms of the the GOP contest. It's an open primary. So people cross over. Independents can, can vote. Um, it is going to be the least evangelical, the least religious, the least MAGA state of any in this entire GOP primary. Um, but she goes there and equivocates on the civil war in new England. Again, I know we're repeating ourselves from previously. And she did all that because she saw what happened with Christie and because she was being chicken shit and trying to have it both ways. Well, well now that he has come after you and attacked you for projecting this air of being a winner and calling him a loser. Now you want to go on the offensive. Well, it's too late. I mean, it's not literally too late, but it's, it's, kind of too late now <laughs> you you've already you've already set the tone for your campaign well we we ended the last pod and i asked questions about how the media should uh handle trump and i think one of the answers was i, I actually i can't remember what the exact answer was but basically when we were discussing it you know we said that uh as it pertained to nikki haley uh and you know obviously we talked about her a lot she should oh that was my question if mm-hmm. he said, if Donald Trump said something about your significant other, how should you right. respond? And both of you said, no, we should hit him hard in the media, like not let publicly. him rest. Yeah. Publicly. Nikki Haley should be publicly attacking him for attacking her as a woman of color every mm-hmm. chance <laughs> she gets. Like, I, it is incomprehensible to me how ham handed. Donald Trump and his campaign is like every time they could have an advantage. They mm-hmm. just, <laughs> I mean, they just, they, he, they are incapable of taking, taking care of home court, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like Nikki Haley, for the love of God, if you wanted to, if you want to defeat Donald Trump, listen to me, listen to me. <laughs> just, I mean, I'm not saying play the victim. I'm not saying play the victim. I'm just saying, let people know that this is how he treats women. This is how he treats women of color. This is how he treats families, yeah. right? Like he's attacking my family. He's attacking like, this is the guy that if Roe v. Wade is your issue and if ostensibly you're protecting kids because you want to protect the family and that's a part of your ethos, like he's attacking families. And oh, by the way, you know, he's had, I don't know how many wives and how many extramarital affairs and mm-hmm. like on and on. Like he is an attack to the family. He's an attack to what you hold dear. And I am the the physical embodiment of that. And by the way, I'm one of you. I was the governor of South Carolina. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to give to me, her campaign. <laughs> by the way, I was going to say, John, on a much lighter note, um, I don't know what you did between when we tested out your microphone a few days ago and now, but the sound quality today is impeccable so well done excellent you sound you sound excellent you sound excellent now now aline you got to play catch up here you know there's yeah. one of these things is not like the other and then it's not like a right now hallway speaking of the microphone yeah a little bit a little bit a little bit, I, a little like, bit. I, i'm, I'm <laughs> positive i heard your micro your microwave earlier aline <laughs> anyway no but um but i, yeah. I well i just want to say like just just to finish that thought though like you know not to give her campaign too much credit here but I think that's one way in which she she is correct is that all those things, John, would have made sense prior to 2015, 2016. 
all the points you just made. The problem now is that everyone is so desensitized. Yes. Like all of that stuff is baked in. They know he's a sleaze bag. <laughs> they know because because now it's become it's it's pure identity, right? It's not about whether or not he's right or wrong. He's quote unquote their guy. Now the fact that he's fleecing them and he says he's a billionaire on TV, but still then sends out emails asking them for five dollar donations. Like <laughs> none of that. They're not. They're not doing that math, right? As far as they're concerned, he is their guy because. And I'm I'm going to be paraphrasing Steve Schmidt here. His brand or his his message is not literally MAGA, and he does have a policy. He does have an appeal, and that is f you. Yeah. <laughs> so they they buy into that and say yeah. like, oh, well, he's speaking up for us and saying F you to everybody we don't like immigrants, liberals, whatever. What what Haley is doing, the problem is she's doing it too little too late is attacking him on the fact that he is a loser. Mm -hmm. So that could have been effective, but she's already waited until the entire field has fallen out from under her and she's the only person left standing. So so here, here's 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 what I would what I would do, Christian. And I agree with you. I think they, these things have gotten baked in and. Yeah. people have been desensitized to them so i feel like but i feel like they're still so much so very valid they can be repackaged and here's what i would suggest mm. I, I thought about this i thought about this several times over the past year is that to repackage all of these the these transgressions of his you simply say listen mm -hmm. especially you could do it on a debate stage or you can do it on a uh on on a public platform of any kind you say listen i will not dignify his name or his candidacy until he apologizes and you go down a laundry list of he apologizes unequivocally for all of these things for his sexual harassment that has been documented for his uh celebrating of that which, which is on on mm -hmm. on video and audio for his you know everything just go down the list it, it, and there's a laundry list of things and then then you hold them accountable and you repeat it over and over and over again until it happens you say i am but that but that's already but that ship has already sailed i'm but, sorry to but, say but, like they already you're already i mean you already it's been a month now since elise stefanik went on meet the press on sunday morning and started using the talking points about the the january 6th hostages and started doing all of that i mean like mm -hmm. these people already have been conditioned and when I say these people, I mean his followers, Trump's oh, yeah. followers, so, people who are, them. they already. Yeah, yeah. forget right. them. Yeah. Right. I'm talking about but, but for people who are, <clears throat> well, that's the thing is that for the most part, right now, we're not there yet. We're not, yeah. I mean, we sort of are going into the general. I've, I've talked about my feelings on that and written about it. But um, the, you know, plug if you're talking about there. the point of view of, of, of Haley's campaign, was that? Plug your plug your uh, your article that you had. You, 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 <laughs> hashtag uh, well, there's not hashtag uh, link at the bottom. <laughs> I think that that one I didn't publish yet because I got sick. I oh. decided to go to bed instead, but um, I, I will post that at some point. But um, what was I saying just that that um, you know, for the people that Haley needs to talk to, which is I, again, I'm not quite sure who's left anymore until we get to an actual mm -hmm. general election electorate and, and, and audience for the mass media. Um, the the right wing and Trump's followers, they're so bought into, again, like, I know that there are people who don't love Biden, don't love Trump, who are not into politics. And I believe me, I'm working on that. I'm writing on that. I get it. But I'm talking about for this moment, this early on, I, the people who are engaged at this point in the game, they're not, as far as they're concerned, these are quote unquote, you know, witch hunts. They're not based. They, they've already discredited the courts and and the justice system so much to a very scary extent 
that they're not going to go for that. What, what has to happen is Trump has to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. Trump has to be embarrassed. We've become so deluded as an electorate and as a society that we're now back to the point where it really does come back to, um, you know, cautionary tales, fables, and, and proverbs. And at this point, gonna, when it I'm comes gonna... when it comes to Trump, sorry, I'm I'm almost done with this tirade. But yeah, when it comes yeah. to Trump, it really is the the emperor has no clothes. Mm -hmm. Like nothing so else here's... is going to work. He needs to be embarrassed publicly and have the facade crumble. Facts are not going to work. So I, I I'm going to go a little bit differently, and this is why I am bullish on Nikki Haley's strategy. Okay. Would you Would you sign up to say that this has some of the the makings of Ross Perot and George Bush? Um, as in a spoiler candidate, he runs runs as an independent. Yep. Well, I, and like think about it this way: I believe Ross Perot got like ten percent oh, yeah. of the vote. It, yeah, in that election. maybe even more than that. I don't know. It, it was it was a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but Bill Clinton got forty. I think he got like forty seven percent of the mm -hmm. vote. He did not have a majority of the no, vote. Yeah. yeah. But it was a split. And it and if if I recall correctly, Christian, you know this history way better than I do. George Bush's critical sin was that he said he wasn't going to raise taxes and then he had to mm -hmm. yeah. and he did it and he yeah. lost people mm -hmm. and it, yeah. it created an opening for Ross Perot to credibly run Yeah, I yes. don't think Ross Perot was ever I don't think there was any illusions that he was ever going to win but the damage was already done so, so, right, he was a spoiler right? candidate I, I, yeah. I think your point to your point I, I actually thought about this as well John is that but I didn't think of it from Nikki Haley I thought of it actually from Chris Christie I thought Chris Christie mm. no if, way. If, you, if you heard what Chris Christie said Upon his exit, he said, "I cannot." I mean, he was really stern. Oh, the hot mic moment. What is that? Oh, no, the hot no, mic. Not, not the hot mic moment. After that, when he was like, "Listen, okay, I can't, I can't," you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to stop him from being like. I mean, so to me, I took that as that he might be looking for an opportunity to run a spoiler campaign, and I think he actually would be effective. To be honest with you, mm -hmm. he has appeal, but he probably would hurt Democrats. As much as Republicans, uh, Republican vote. Well, that's that's always my fear with any spoiler yeah. candidate as a strategy is yeah. that it, it who you pull from that's that's a huge exactly. huge risk. I mean, we see that with with RFK is that the people who he's pulling from sometimes are extremely far left who might might otherwise vote for a Democrat at, even begrudgingly, but they're not yeah. going to vote for a Republican. But then you look at who's actually financially backing him; mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. Yeah, oh yeah, they know they're trying to pull votes away from Biden. With Haley, like John, I, I get your point, but uh, you know, th there's a few different variables here that are just so fundamentally different. Like Trump is not technically, an, I mean, he's not an incumbent right now. Um, he doesn't have that one thing that turned off a key group of his constituents, like reneging on on taxes the way that Bush did. And he's got a million other sins and 91 indictments or counts against him, but they don't seem to care about that. Uh, and then, you know, Christie, whatever you think of him personally, he's not stupid. No. And I don't think not. he's wrong about Haley. I don't think that constitutionally she has it in her. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I so here, here's yeah, here's what I say. I And I agree with you. And I, I actually followed a lot of what Chris Christie, his messaging, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. he was very consistent and very poignant yeah. with his oh, messaging yeah. as to why Donald Trump was unfit for office. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think that he was ever a legitimate candidate for the president of the United States of America. I don't think he has that appeal. I think that his the optics of Chris Christie, mm -hmm. for one reason or the other, 
don't play well with the electorate. I don't think mm -hmm. he is appealing to Republicans and he may have some appeal to Democrats, but he, he is so damaged and tarnished by his advocacy of Donald Trump. I don't think Democrats would trust him. Nikki Haley, for all the mm -hmm. reasons that I just said, and for the yeah. window that she has to craft this message, I think that she is the perfect spoiler. And I'm not, you know, tracking the money, but I, my impression is that there is a lot of money being spent. Think of the George Conway wing of the party that are never Trumpers. They will mm -hmm. do anything in their power to rescue their party from Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And I think if that means supporting Nikki Haley to the detriment of Donald Trump, I can see a path to that. Like, to me, that makes sense. I could be wrong. This is the, the musings of just some guy that is not in politics. Yeah. But it, it, it seems like if you were going to have a strategy to to release the Republican Party from Donald Trump and or vice versa, mm -hmm. this is your time to do it. Mm -hmm. You've got an opportunity with Nikki Haley. You've got the messaging baked in. If you can support her financially through the end and somehow, for the love of God, get the two of them on stage <laughs> before. And like, look, the window is really narrow. Like Super Tuesday is going to tell us just about mm -hmm. everything we need to know. But, you know, he is he is begging Donald Trump. That is, is begging and pleading for dear life to not have to be on stage and not have to campaign against anyone at mm. all for good reason. One, he's not going to have the time. He's not going right. to have the faculty. And two, it is dangerous to Aleem's point. What if, what if Nikki Haley went on stage and said like, look, here are the things that you need to apologize to the American public for starting at the top COVID. I'm making that up. I mean, there's so many different things, but you know, if we're talking, if we're talking about a strategy to, and and I'm saying this as nonpartisan as I can to really release the country. You know, I don't want to talk about Donald Trump anymore. Like, I actually don't like it, you know, mm -hmm. but uh -huh. it is something that we have to deal with as a country. But if we're yeah. going to if we're going to release his stranglehold and like, look, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing that people have the agency to vote for whom they want. Yeah. And maybe if I'm running for office, I want to persuade you to vote for me. But you uh -huh. still have a vote. And I think that's it's important for you to have that. But if the Republican Party wants to to detangle itself from Donald Trump and recast itself as a credible party going in the future, my my musing, my thought, everyone can disagree. That's fine. I'll be in this little house by myself. You need to get behind Nikki Haley and have her be that spoiler candidate. And I think she can do better than anyone else. Anyone else? I think else. she'd be useful. That's for sure. But I think actually, I thought Tim Scott could do it too. But oh my god, he just. <laughs> oh. Oh my God! But here's why. Oh my God! Here's, here's why. Here's why. <laughs> here's why. At least, at least his attempt. He made an attempt to, to use your word, Aleem, to positively frame and cast his candidacy. The only problem is, is that he was clearly not going to cross Donald Trump. Tom's. He was. Well, we, he we was saw that on live TV. Yeah. He was right. Him and Vivek Ramaswamy. Right next to Donald Trump, just with the <laughs> yeah, yeah. For 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 people that are listening to this, Donald that, 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 yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to put for what it is. Don't that I just did, don't do the hat. Oh God, don't the hat makes it too real. Oh, the hat, the hat makes it too real. That was so sad. It was just sad, like. Did you, did you see Nikki Haley on the Breakfast Club? By the way, 
Oh, well, I yeah, saw no. the outtake. I saw I saw clips. Yeah, I, I, saw I didn't watch the full well, but the full interview. I'm always yeah. disappointed in, in, in when Republicans get interviewed because nobody ever asks them the questions I would ask. It was like, come on, explain this for me. Like, you know, how does this even work? You know, this policy. Like, anyway, but it, it, neither here nor there. It's like, I mean, look, I. I go back and forth in the policy thing because I've been a policy wonk since I was literally in middle school. <laughs> and I know, I know I was super cool. <laughs> um, but you know, th there are, there are times that I really miss and, and long for a good old fashioned, like in-depth policy debate, getting into, you know, past precedents, other historical analogs, other analogs around the world talking about, all different sorts of things. Now at this point, like the situation is so dire. If I were to sit across from a, a, a never Trump Republican, I'd be like, look, we can talk about tax policy, um, tax policy, reparations, whether or not the earth is flat, any of that shit can, can wait until after the election. Like, <laughs> I like literally, literally I will, I will debate you till the cows come home. Once we make sure we still have a democracy in which we're allowed to debate. Mm -hmm. Right. Like everything else, literally everything else. And I think this is an important thing that everyone has to remember. No matter what you care about, it's not going to matter if someone with, with autocratic tendencies or who, who wants to be a full on autocrat is in office. It won't matter. It doesn't matter how important you think it is. Everything comes after democracy. Everything comes after having a system in place in which we're allowed to debate in which the rule of law binds everyone as citizens, including people in power, uh, and where might doesn't necessarily make right. I, I think that talking about things in the context of democracy might be too nebulous and or too undefined as well. Nebulous, undefined. <laughs> I would, I would drill down even further. Like the Constitution says that you have the ability to speak in most circumstances without mm -hmm. fear of retribution from the government. Like yeah. that, that is, that is who we are. You know, like your vote is this, you have the right to be free from uh, unreasonable search and seizure. Like on and on and on. Like in addition to democracy, it's not just democracy that's on the ballot. It's the constitution that's on the ballot. Yeah. I'd actually love to hear Democrats start to take some ownership over that. The Constitution is on the ballot, mm -hmm. right? Like you are right now, you are enjoying the privileges of the Constitution, whether you are pulling for Biden or not. Mm -hmm. You're enjoying it because you can be critical of him. And Joe Biden isn't going to send a goon squad after your family. Mm -hmm. right. He doesn't talk about it. Conversely, conversely, you've got someone that says that they will do that exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, they, they will do this, that, that. They will do yeah. that. Right. Right. The well, I mean, and that's that's that that's the chilling thing. Yeah. Well, so so your argument then is that that makes it a little more concrete, saying constitution versus democracy. Is right. That sort but, of what, what kind of government? What kind of government is China? Republic. Communist dictatorship. <laughs> Everybody knows it's a republic. Okay, not not nominally, but like in actuality. <laughs> but, but you get the, you get the point that I'm making. Like you yeah. can hold yourself out as a Republican the same way that we are, and right. have nothing that we have. Right. right. Like the Constitution is on the ballot, not just right. democracy. Mm -hmm. Like you you think for a second that that Donald Trump would get in office and then abolish democratic democracy, mm -hmm. like he wouldn't survive. Like that everyone would be like, oh God, no, no, yeah. he would he would 
he would ebb away, he would chop away the constitution, yeah, and still keep a democracy. Like people would still vote. Yeah, I mean, he's already, you know. But I mean, and there's, you know, there's, there's, there's history of him attempting that on several occasions. So. And and what mm. is problematic is that for years, Democrats have been ceding the point that Republicans are constitutionalists. They're originalists. You know, like anytime someone talks about you know the Second Amendment, they're like, "Yo, I'm just about the Constitution." Right. Like, okay. Yeah. Tell me about the Constitution. No, the Constitution is on the ballot. I think it was. Mm. It might have been. It might have been uh, Dean Crooms from the Howard University School of Law that said, um, "You want to think about what's important to the framers. Think about the way that they ordered the con- the uh, Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that are most important." Mm. Right. And you look at what, what is what is what is the First Amendment to the United States Constitution? The First Amendment. Krishna. <laughs> Number one. Brief, right. I think it's freedom of speech. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, the freedom of press, uh, freedom of speech, press, assembly. Yeah. You know, like there's right, a but whole of course, lot. That... But, but of course, though, the people who are all in for Trump and even those who are people who who lean right are so and I'm not talking about conservative legal scholars of course they they would know this like the back of their hand we're talking about regular people are so misinformed about that they think that the first amendment gives them the right to say what they want without any pushback any retribution whatsoever mm-hmm. and that anything that um anytime that they say something and people then respond to them or attack them if they say something atrocious or in the case of social media or other web platforms, they get deplatformed because they say something abusive, dangerous, threatening, whatever. They think that's an actual infringement upon their First Amendment rights. They don't realize is that the First Amendment forbids the national legislature, Congress, from doing certain things. Mm-hmm. First among them being regulating someone's freedom of speech. Of course, there's also you know freedom of religion, not being able to establish a certain government-approved church, all these different things, right? But that's the point. It's it's not you can say what you want to without any pushback, but they believe that mm-hmm. it's that Congress cannot impose that upon and you. That cannot that would right. restrict exactly, exactly. And so even there, again, I hate to keep coming back to this, but we are in a I don't want to say a post fact era, but it, for this for for our purposes for right now for this election, it is in a lot of ways post fact, and people who are already. Look, if you're talking about people who are persuadable, fine. But people who are already that far down the road, they truly believe that there's a war, quote unquote, on everything that they believe in. That's why they feel embattled. That's why they go for Trump. That's why they go for this FUism that he is selling them. And they don't understand the fact that the Constitution does have protections for them to talk shit, for them to have a gun, et cetera, and so forth. They don't realize that those things are not absolute, and the fact that just because you have rights doesn't mean you don't also have some responsibilities. And, and I, I would, what I what I would say, I ahead, was going to say, um, the only issue I have with focusing on the Constitution as opposed to democracy in general is part, sort of tied to what Christian was just explaining: is that people don't necessarily they all say they all feel like the Constitution applies to them, but not other people. So it's like. It doesn't. It, right. It's not really. It's not a universal understanding and appreciation for the Constitution in the same way. It's not. That doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. So it's like freedom of speech for me, and not you. You know, free, free, you know, right. you know that freedom of religion for me, but not you. You know, it's like that. That's that's really how people look at it. So I'm not so sure that that would resonate better than the, than speaking about democracy. But 
Um, you know, it, it's neither here nor there. But I really wanted to talk very quickly uh, about, uh, uh, speaking of Tim Scott, the black vote, right? <laughs> I mean, I just... Tim this, Scott. Wait, wait, be- before, before you do that, really quickly, hold that sure. point. I just want to say really quickly, just to put a pin on that so we can shift, because I know we got other stuff to cover. The, the, the point that I'm making with that is like, fine, it's a difficult argument, but is it any, more fe- any less effective than talking about democracy? Like, what in the world does that mean, sure, sure. right? But I think mm. that there is enough, Donald Trump has given enough information, enough uh, attack points where you could say, okay, this is what, this is what the freedom, uh, this is how freedom of religion uh, is in peril, in peril right? Mm-hmm. Speech, press, association, assembly. Mm-hmm. Like, you could go just, just those five things right there. You forget the rest of the, con- I don't know, say forget the rest of <laughs> You, you, you don't, don't have to you don't have to address because the Constitution gets really it's complicated. Like that's where you get into like, yes, maybe you should either do a lot of reading and or be a lawyer, you know, to really kind of talk thoroughly through this because it just becomes heady and academic. Mm-hmm. Right. But those five things are things that resonate with people every single day. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, like people go to people go to their houses of worship weekly, if not daily. So maybe- people enjoy the freedom to speak to assemble like all of these things like you could even say like look by the way uh even though they they shouldn't the fact that shouldn't have because i don't know if they were permitted to like literally permitted to but to be on the capitol on january 6th you know like this is both association and assembly right like these these are things that are essential to who we are like this is how we have a more informed and then maybe that's when you talk about democracy and republic and a more engaged democracy and republic. You know, like that's how you tie it in and you can make it simple, but you don't have to use a whole lot of highfalutin, you know, legalese and legal terms and legal theories. I think that because Donald Trump does it on a daily basis and he's clear that he would attack some of these things because they're not favorable to him. That's where you hit him. Forget, forget the democracy thing. Like, okay, like, what does that mean? You know, like, you know, Russia's a democracy. And right? What what is what does that actually mean? All right, Aleem, I'm sorry. No, Go ahead. I, I think I think that maybe the answer is you 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 don't you talk about both. <laughs> so you just you, you you discuss them in both contexts and you connect the two, just as you mentioned. Um but as far as um you know the black vote is what I was I was thinking about in that I don't know, I think it was last month uh, or the month before last, some numbers came out where I think uh Biden was only like at 70, 70% of the black vote. And that, those are uh, bad numbers for Democrats, to say the least, uh, especially, I think, when, when, when he won the election, we're like at 95% or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so the, 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 the concern, you know, I, 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 you know as, you, as you browse the social media platforms, you get the sense that people are so confused about, about what this president versus the previous president have have done and what they have not done. Uh, and even going back to Obama, you know, I, I still see several people I know well who it's like, well, what did Obama do for us? It's like, come on, really? Mm-hmm. No, you don't, you don't really know that by now. You don't really, the only reason someone would say that is they've gotten a hold of some misinformation that has been forced down mm-hmm. their throat for probably several years now and unchecked, right? So, so you know, and, and and this this is the this is the interesting thing about the 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 interference in our election process. I I don't I, mm-hmm. I to this day I don't think people really understand the significance of that, and it's still continuing. 
Like you, you can see yeah. certain um, posts and things like, man, this has a really interesting undertone to it that I don't know mm -hmm. people are picking up on. And it's like, it's all meant to sort of massage people in a direction where they start to reject things that are traditionally, traditionally progressive. And it's really well, that's the thing that's that's why, why I would push back gently and say it's it's not it's never been forced down anyone's throat. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And and if you are and, and the problem is that there are there are different um, people at work doing this sort of thing, um, domestic and foreign. Um, and for the, the, the foreign actors, especially Russia, with the um, Internet Research Agency in St. Petersburg, starting with the last presidential election or excuse me, the one prior to that, uh, they got an incredible return on their investment. I mean, the, the estimates on what they actually spent on Facebook ads, it was, you know, in the hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. to to push uh, people either toward Trump or push them away from voting altogether. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it's they don't they don't actually force feed anything. What they do is um, they, they exhaust people's critical thinking. They get you so frazzled with the back and forth and the what aboutism, And that's actually a, a Soviet propaganda technique is, you know, well, what about, mm -hmm. and you see it now being done by um, pro Trump media for, for years now, but basically get your, your faculties so exhausted, your critical thinking skills so exhausted that you just kind of say, well, I don't know, you know, everyone's, everyone's doing it. Yeah, yeah. And you see now several years out, that's exactly the sort of things that when they do the mad on the street interviews with, with, with Trump supporters, those are the sort of things that, that they say. Yeah. So they do that. And they also will, you know, in, in advertising or especially in digital, you call it AB testing. You know, you try a couple different ads in the same set and see which ones outperform the others and go with that. Well, with this, what they do is, you know, they, they don't have one message go out. They have a message for black voters. They have a message for, you know, far left white progressives. They have a, it, like all different things and they, they follow these things very closely and they use messages that play upon what they already know are the preconceived beliefs and notions of different demographics of different groups exactly. so that they'll latch onto that and then start spreading it on their own of their own volition. They're spreading. We are spreading um information or misinformation that just appeals to our own beliefs and biases and so yeah it, the problem is that when you talk about it one you sound crazy i know <laughs> i sound conspiratorial right now for talking yeah, about yeah, this yeah. even though it's been thoroughly documented yeah. by journalists and and other writers mm -hmm. and um members of the intelligence community um but then also too it's hard to quantify like that there's a reason now if I want to run anything on a meta platform, whether it's uh, writing that is political in nature or, or opines in a matter of public interest um, or run an ad on behalf of a client that, that talks about matters of public interest or, or anything political, you know, you have to go through a whole clearance process and show your ID and get pre-approved. You have to redo it all these multiple times and all of that because they could show that this had been going on starting in 2015, 2016. Um, but so you can, on the one hand, show, roughly speaking anyway, how much, say, um, a Russian agency or other foreign agency paid. You can, you can you know, get those receipts. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you can't actually quantify how many people that uh, persuaded to vote one way or dissuaded them from voting altogether. Those are sure. answers we will die never knowing, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I, 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 
it just it's just concerning to me that like like I said, it wasn't forced out, but it was the it, they were people have brought this into their own own uh, fear willingly because mm-hmm. it, it was so um, uh, customized for them. So it's something yeah. for them to latch on to, and 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 like you said, I mean, you'll see things that 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 talk about uh, putting women in certain positions in society, and they'll. They'll, they'll massage it into religion and faith and God. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. and therefore, you know, it's like, it's like, man, do you see what this is doing? It, I, and, and I'll see men reposting this, you know, guys who may be jaded or, or, or feel some kind of yeah. way about their manhood and, and, and interactions with women. They'll, they'll repost a lot of like, that. Man, do you see you, a lot of that? Yeah. And it's like, wow, nobody really understands that. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's scary. And it's, and it's our generation and younger, you know? Mm-hmm. And, oh, a lot younger sometimes. It's yeah. amazing. It's like, man, like, yeah. this guy, what's his name? Um, uh, Alex, T- uh, Alex Tate, something Tate, whatever. I forget his name, but he's oh, yeah, yeah. popular misogynistic scumbag. <laughs> I mean, like human trafficker, uh, yeah, human tra- trafficker. Like, yeah. It's amazing. And, and you've got yeah. guys, you've got professional athletes, men, black men, white men, doesn't matter, all kinds of them, all aligning and reposting things he writes. And you'll and you'll see yeah. one, you'll see one thing he writes that might might be uh, a little bit more innocuous and, and it's like oh well that sounds all right and then you you dig a little bit deeper into other things that he's written about and talked about and it's like man yeah. he's all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I think the this goes back to what I was talking about with Joe Biden though. Like it's clear. I mean, like that guy has a worldview that he is strident in standing by like mm-hmm. this is who i am this is what it should be and this will solve all of your problems right like if we were just more masculine if we would treat women in in this way and we would as men act in this way then all of our societal problems will be solved right like that that is what he's doing and at some point if it hasn't happened already like it catches up with you because you got to start living the life that you're talking about Right. And I think, you know, I've when I see someone like that, like I see it, I turn it off. Mm. What I have seen, though, like he gets on and it's not just the way that he talks. You know, he's Uh like, I got the fancy cars. I have I have the things as a man that you desire. Uh And the reason that you don't have them is because you're not man enough. You know, so there is both the worldview and there's the challenge. And I don't think that's either healthy or virtuous or true. but. You know, it's easy for people because people don't have time to just sit and think all day about the greater mysteries of society and life and culture and philosophy and virtue. You know, like everyone's too busy working all the time. Right. Yeah. So like what what is your out like you get on you you get out that device from your pocket that's got all of the information that has ever been known in mankind. And you look at a guy like that and be like, oh, I think I'm going to go with that. Because you can't possibly start to look at all of this stuff. Like I love yeah. watching Neil deGrasse Tyson and I love watching Star Talk. And when I'm watching mm-hmm. it, I think he does a great job of reducing astrophysics down to something that is digestible enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think that's brilliant. But I still wonder if the things that he is saying, if the things that he says, I know there are people that are listening to it and be like, no, that can't be true because I don't understand it. So I'm just going to go with this. Right, like that, you know, going back earlier, that's also the world that we live in. It's like, eh, you know, like this is easier for me because I don't, you know, like I don't, I, I don't want to study cosmology. 
right? Like, I'm not going to, like, he's got a, uh, Dr. Tyson has, like, a degree in astrophysics, like, geology and philosophy, I think. Something ridiculous like that. Like, a very well-rounded, you know. But anyway, it's, my point is it's easier. Like, it's easier to be like, oh, yeah, the world is flat. You know, because when I walk out of my house, I can't, this is what I observe. And because I can't be challenged in that way because I don't have the ability to think about it. We talked about this at my birthday. There's only so much thinking that, you know, people that already tapped out can do. Yeah. You know, and that's not a knock. You just, you, it, it's like, what can you do? No, you know, like true. I think philosophy has been, been writing about that certainly since the dawn of the industrial revolution, like, you know, education and contemplation might be something that is, you know, almost restricted exclusively for the people that have the means to not work. Well, I mean, that, that was actually a huge point of the labor movement in this country in the 19th century and into the 20th was it wasn't just having, you know, your work confined to certain hours in the day, but it was having enough time for sleep, enough time for work, and then enough time for a combination of family, recreation, self-education, reading, and being part of your community, church, going to union meetings, things like that. They knew that. If you, if you, you know, as, as that movement has been undercut and people have been forced to work longer, longer hours, as we've kind of done some backsliding on that front up until extremely recently, by which I mean, like right now, <laughs> we see that is that everybody is working all the time. And yes, like you can argue that materially things have gotten better than people's grandparents, right? That, you know, you've got devices and, and air conditioning and <laughs> TV and all these modern comforts. Sure, but are people more engaged? Are they more uh, part of their communities there, whether it's in a religious or secular sense, part of their neighborhoods, part of their churches? But no, of course not. We have we have data on that. We can show that people are more and more estranged from those around them. And that is because of being overworked. And, and there's the immediate problem of being more cut off from people and the, the mental health impacts of that. But then, you know, to your point, John, then, yeah people eventually tap out. If you have gone and worked a few hours and you're not exhausted and you have time to go exercise and read and educate yourself, you're doing great. You're doing better than most. If you've worked all day and into the evening and you're flat out and you're exhausted, you're not going to go and do those things. You're going to get takeout nope. and you're going to flop in front of Netflix <laughs> and you're going to crash. And that's not a knock at anybody. We've all been there. Unless you were born very privileged, you know, and you had to, you know, we've all been there. But that's that is we, a we, huge problem. I, I had a friend who who asked me, who is a a foreign journalist, who asked me, um, you know, why is it that when these horrible things happen, like Roe gets overturned, why is why is DC not a mess? Why are there not millions of people taking over the streets? And I'm like, oh, y you don't know, do you? He's like, what? I'm like, even white collar employees, even people who are making six figures, because of the cost of living relative to relative to salaries, relative to wages, and how many hours you have to work to just get by and get that. Even people at six figures, even people high five figures, uh, you are only a couple of missed paychecks from losing everything. And so, yeah, you're going to stay in line. You don't need to have an, uh, an autocrat tell you what to do. You have the economic anxiety that's, that's keeping you in check. Like, I know I, I could talk about this for the next hour and a half, but my, my point I guess my final point on that, Christian, I think you're absolutely right, is that one, we've made work, we've made a virtue out of work. Yeah, And then oh, to totally. take it a step further, we made, we confused uh, hard work with 
long, long work. Just in other words, like it is totally conceivable that you could work really hard for six mm-hmm. hours out of a day from nine yep. to three. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean. Um, uh, I'm sorry. So you could work hard from nine to three. In today's society, if you work six hours, it's like, oh, you're being lazy. You're not working hard enough. Right. Why? Why not? You know, like if I work six hours and let's just say that I work five and a half hours, I took three, you know, 30 minutes for lunch, for God's sake. But if I work nine to three, mm-hmm. why am I doing anything less? Like, what are the extra hour and a half going to do? You know, mm-hmm. or and that's just a nine to five. That's just your standard work day. Yeah. You know, what about, you know, I never forget, Christian. I think when we were one L's. I had one of our professors tell me, like, look, if you if you see an associate, first year associate and they tell you they go home by seven o'clock, they're not going to make it to their second year. You know, and that and they've mm-hmm. already gotten to the office at eight. You know, they're on, you know, if they're working anything less than 12 hours a day, and we're not even talking about billing. Yeah. It's like, oh, they're not working hard enough. It's just a blanket assumption that yeah. you can't do enough work if you're not working yourself to a, a sick place. Yeah. Right. Like, literally, th- this is a problem that we have. Like, that is, it is not a virtue to walk, work until you go to sleep and then wake up and just do it again. Like, there is nothing that we should find virtuous about that. Like, unfortunately, that is clearly we do. problematic. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I'm trying to stop it right here on this pod. You know, like, yo, I'm all about hard work. Like, I think hard work produces something special in you, like when you push yourself. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work as long as you physically can all the time. That's something totally different. When we had uh, Terrain as a a guest on the pod, he talked about that, that when he is doing something to Terrain Davis, that is, when he's going to embark on a next venture, open a new business or grow one or, or whatever... It is there is time to reflect and talk it over and plan it with his spouse, with his wife, and then is a plan for like 90, maybe 120 days of digging deep and, you know, going all out. But that's not your whole life. That's like you're you're doing that hard work, not long work, like you said. You're doing that hard work to achieve a goal, but that's not what most Americans love to do. It's it's working hard just to please your boss so that you can then come back and, and you know, get some more. It's, it's not about actually getting ahead and it's not about quality. It really purely is quantity. I have a, an informal uh, rule with my team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I encourage, I was talking with one of our senior managers and, recently and we were talking about time off. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. This person has developed a habit of feeling like they can't leave their post because they're afraid that if something goes wrong and they're not there and their team, the team needs this person. Yeah. That they won't be there and everything will just fall. And it's like, look, one, you've got to structure your work life in such a way where you can have downtime when you can disconnect. And if I get the sense that you are, if you are exhausting yourself, because it's clear, like if you're, if you're a leader and you're leading people and you're tapped into them, you know, when they're going beyond what they can do. One, it's, you see some diminishment in their work. You know, you can maybe check with their health. I mean, there's so many different things, but Mm -hmm. it's so important for me to make clear to my team, like you need to rest. And I do the same thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. on the weekends, unless I really have to do something and it's planned out, I intend to rest. I intend to turn off my work phone and I intend to rest because you need it. Like, you you know, your life cannot revolve around work. And I know it's easy for me to say, but going back to also young voters for just a second. I think they see that too. You know, like yeah. that, you remember last year that big to do about quiet quitting? 
Yo, yeah, and that was like, well, so disingenuous. All those articles, yeah. But it's like, look, I, I, I understand as an employer. Oh my God, you know what does that mean? Are people just going to do their jobs and that's it? <laughs> right. There is so an, ridiculous. I mean, Trevor, but Trevor Noah said that, like, yeah, guys, that's the point. But yeah. I think what is underneath that is like we take advantage of people. Like we expect the extra to be the norm, and yeah, then when people right. don't do the extra, then we penalize for. It. Rather than appreciating right. when people do the extra, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. You know, one of my team member team members yesterday said, "Like, yo, can you just acknowledge that I'm doing extra?" And mm. if I'm really honest, my initial reaction was, it was a, it was a little indignation. But mm. as as this person talked through it, I was like, "Okay, no, I hear it. You yeah. know, like there's a lot on your shoulders, whether I am there pushing you on a daily basis or not. Mm-hmm. Like, just the pride of ownership of your work." The, all the pressure is there. It's a. It's actually a saying that I developed um, from coaching. All the pressure you need is on the court. Like you don't need it from me. You don't need it from your boss. You don't need artificial pressure from me. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just don't need it. So anyway, well, we, speaking we of getting on. of getting some rest, uh, I assume you guys will be putting your feet up uh, to watch the Super Bowl. Is that is that going down? Is that going to be happening? Yeah, I'll probably check out the. I'll check it out. I usually try to make buffalo shrimp, um, and oh, well, actually, more than and, and I, I used to make my gumbo too, but that's like it's cost so much to make. It. Okay. I made it for the holidays, so I won't make it again. <laughs> but but it, well, I saw you at, at John's not this past birthday, but the previous one. I saw you turn a pizza into like a fifty dollar venture. <laughs> so I, I I fully trust and believe that you're capable of making something too expensive to be worth cooking. That's true. The price on seafood these days is kinda high. <laughs> yeah, but uh but no so so I guess if the point wasn't clear, watching the Super Bowl for my family is more of an eating activity than it is a, a sports walk. Right. That's my yeah, team uh, fair enough. The New York Jets haven't been in it in, in a uh, going on about what, fifty years now? So, <laughs> fifty five years actually. I, I was gonna say yeah. I think it's more than that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I was gonna say I'm not even a sports fan. And I think I, I think that's pretty. Yeah, I think I knew that. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, what about you? I'm I'm absolutely going to watch it, and I'm I'm very curious about certainly the last couple of Super Bowls with the uh, rise of Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, and the discussions around the black quarterback in particular. So. Last week he played Lamar Jackson and and the Baltimore Ravens and it was like the Ravens year. Mm. The narrative around Lamar Jackson, as long as he's been in the league, is that he is a running quarterback. Right? Which is so often how black quarterbacks are labeled, whether they're good at it or not. You know, like they're athletic, they're mobile quarterbacks. Like they the assumption is that they can't actually they can't actually perform the functions of a quarterback. They just happen to do it because they can throw the ball, but they're elusive and they can run. So let's just have him back there. Well, anyway, in the game last week, the Ravens had the best running offense in football. I think they had six planned runs last week and it was all over the news. It was, you know, people were saying this is kind of one of the worst play uh, play calling efforts that an offensive coordinator has ever had. Mm-hmm. And there was also a lot of people chatting like, Hey man, you know, Lamar Jackson was also sitting in the pocket for a while and he mm-hmm. wasn't running. And the narrative was like, Hey, you know, people must've gotten into Lamar's head. 
Like you need to be in order for you to be an authentic quarterback, a proper quarterback, you need to stay in the pocket and beat the team throwing. Even if they are virtually unbeatable when he decides to run. This is a guy that has had numerous literally perfect games. There's Kirsten, I don't know, I know you probably don't follow this way, but they have a stat. That's the the QB uh QBR. And I think I looked at this once, but he just has a slew of literal perfect games. You know, so that and it's a combination of yards per pass, it's a combination of uh it's yards per pass, it's uh completion percentage, it's touchdowns, it's intercept. It is an overall view of the effectiveness of the quarterback. And as far as that that statistic was concerned, he was perfect. Like this is something that he does with some kind of regularity. He is that good. And for whatever reason, they're like, you know, what we're not going to do. We're not going to do the thing that you're really good at that other people can't stop. And so many last year for the Super Bowl, Michael Vick, uh, Donovan McNabb and Jalen Hurts, all Philadelphia Eagles quarterbacks and Jalen Hurts, a guy that's mobile as well. Everyone sits down and the conversation still to this day is, okay. how do we deal with the black quarterback? You know, like, what does it mean? Like, how do you play the position as a black quarterback? Because people are going to tell you because you were just a better athlete than the other people on the field. You're a better athlete than the defenders. And you and you control what happens because you've got the football in your hands. Like, no one knows what you're going to do until you make the decision. And if they've got a game plan for you to be a passer or a runner, how do they deal with you? So, like, you know, I don't know if you two have kind of thoughts or opinions on this. But I, what, what advice would you give to a guy like Lamar Jackson? Like, look, as it pertains to the Super Bowl, I'm going to watch it. I'm, I'm pulling for the Patriots. I mean, the, God, the Patriots. The, uh, what? the Chiefs. The, the new what? Patriots. The Chiefs. <laughs> I'm, I'm, what? Uh, I'll explain why I said that, too. It's a 40-inch slip. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of discussion now that the Chiefs have become the new Patriots just because oh, they've done so they, much So winning. many. Yeah. 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 And um, I do not Mahomes have any is... thoughts. I don't. I'll, I'll pass this to to Aleem. I I am not qualified on this particular topic. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? <laughs> did, no. Did we no, did we lose I, your interest? No, no I got <laughs> I, the, uh, something. I had distracted me. No, I was going to say. Uh, uh, Passing the question to you about it, John's question because I I have no I'm not qualified to uh to answer. Oh, what advice would you give uh, Lamar Jackson well, as far as uh, you know his performance or you know in the post in the off season so to speak? All the well, above. I, I think you know I think he's got to continue the, down the path he was on. I mean he he it, it's he's an athlete playing a sport that's challenging with, with people trying to stop you from being great and accomplishing your goals. So I think what we saw in that game was was less of his failure uh, than it was just an artifact of tough competition um, and his learning process. I mean, the guy's great at what he does. Uh, he's better at it than probably almost everybody else in the league except for Patrick Mahomes at this point. Um, so I, I would just say, you know, stay strong and, 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 and persevere, you know. I, I, you know, I think the guy's great. Uh, you know, he's, 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 he's very, um, uh, he's humble. Uh, he, he seems to be very focused. Um, he understands growth takes time. So, 
you know, so I, I you know, I, I don't think I don't think he needs much correction. I think criticism is just because people have offer the time to crit- have the time to criticize. So they do, you know, so that's it's pretty simple from my perspective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he is, you know, football is one of those games where it's really easy to see that someone is better than the other people. Like if other people can't stop you and there's 11 other people on the other side of the ball trying to stop you and they can't do it ever, they keep doing that thing that the other 11 people can't stop you doing ever. Hmm. It, it, it should be that simple to me. And like, you've got to be really careful about the circle that you have around you and what you listen to. That's yeah. the other piece, yeah. you know, cause as I've learned, you know, like everyone wants to be a part of your success and everyone wants to mm-hmm. tell you how to be better. Like yeah. everyone and not everyone needs to tell you how to be better. Cause they don't know what it's like to walk in your shoes. Mm-hmm. Speak, speaking of football and walking in people's shoes. I think it is interesting that I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a grand conspiracy between the national football league and Taylor Swift to get Joe Biden elected. <laughs> right. Yes. I've, I've heard of this. Yeah. I, apparently, uh, apparently, uh, um, apparently, um, there's something suspicious about like, usually the um the pretty girl and the football player don't get to get I, I, apparently that that's never happened before at an American high school or celebrity mm-hmm. culture or oh I don't know any movie made in the past since films were invented I yeah I, he, this is a whole she, whole she thing even wears his Letterman's jacket <laughs> that's the funny part. <laughs> He doesn't have real Letterman's jacket, but you get the point that yeah, I'm making. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's it is it is fear and paranoia. Like I was thinking about this it earlier. Yeah. Like no one says anything when the Lakers uh, show every celebrity that's sitting courtside at a Lakers game. Right. Like it's actually the thing that makes the Lakers game appealing, especially because with the exception of 2020, the Lakers have been miserable for the last decade. But or or the Knicks. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry, Liam. Well, but the, the Knicks. Knicks you know, like <laughs> I probably you know you show anyway. You know, well, you know you show Spike Lee. Shout out to Spike Lee. You show him on the sidelines at a Knicks game, and the Knicks are actually really good this year. They're really good this year. So, but like for the you know they haven't won. Also, like the Jets, they haven't won since I don't know the the sixties. Who's 70s? that? The- the Knicks, the Knicks, seventy, yeah, seventy-three, I think it was, maybe. But at least they've been real wow. tough a lot of times in the nineties. So a little more recently. But uh, at any rate, I, I think it's hilarious. I actually like what Dave Letterman said. Basically, just like shut up and leave them alone. Like how I, I was like, I was thinking about this too. It, I can't imagine having so many people rooting for your rooting against your relationship, like vocally, yeah, and with without knowing you at all like they they just have an opinion as they don't even have opinion they just have reactions as people from the outside just saying oh my god this is a hoax this is fake like well, it, i think they like, also leave them alone i i think they also they're not they're not self-aware enough to realize how they look to everyone else like they're so they're so convinced of their conspiracy theory um or maybe they're not so convinced of it the ones who are who are spreading it but they they're so convinced that other people will hear it and pick up on it. They don't realize how absolutely ridiculous this looks. I mean, like, again, I know I was being really snarky before, but it's true. Like, if you're going to pick 
the topic, the subject for a conspiracy theory, like pop star gets with athlete has big, you know, <laughs> has, has photo ops and, you know, like what? And, and of course, oh, they had to tie the vaccine into it too. Don't forget. So now they're calling, they're yeah. calling him Mr. Pfizer because apparently he did some like 30 seconds. He spot did a commercial. In, yeah. He did yeah. A, a quick spot about, you know, getting the, the shot, whatever. Like it, it's, they don't realize how insane they look. And this entire thing that, that they're going to make it an us versus them and have it be like the Trump team versus the Swifties. Like I was a terrible math student, but like, those are not numbers that they can, they can win against. I mean, Taylor Swift can sell out stadiums, forget in this country, like around the planet, Trump, Trump at this point now cannot fill a high school auditorium for one of his rambling rallies. I mean, so this entire thing that, uh, that it's like, uh, you know, battle of the Titans. It's like the, the Trump followers versus the Swifties. I mean, it's an, it's insane. It's just, this well, is not, no, no. Apparently they're getting kid rock to come and face off against Taylor Swift. Oh, Oh, I heard the other one. The one of the Fox news guys was saying, I, cause I caught the clips on, on late night. Uh, what was it last yesterday? And uh, they're like, well, we don't have Taylor Swift, but we've got, you know, Kid Rock and we've got Ted Nugent. Speaking of things not relevant since 1973, <laughs> they've got they've got Ted Nugent. So, Ted you Nugent. Know. there you go. Cat scratch fever. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. It's 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 sad and it's desperate, but that's kind of the the world we live in, though. It's all projection, right? You talk about. Uh, Trump and all of his followers part of these different, you know, conspiratorial worlds and talking about crazy things in the internet. And then they come back with, no, no, the real conspiracy is again, like the pop star and the jock got together, got people all excited to see them on TV. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just projection as usual. All right, guys, any, any closing thoughts, any predictions, John, for the Super Bowl? We're gonna do our top five uh, Denzel movies. We're gonna wait till next pod. <laughs> well, we we oh. this one it probably wouldn't fit as well. I was gonna say I'm, I was gonna say yeah. I'm not sure I did my homework on that. To be honest, <laughs> I was. <laughs> by the way, ironically, I just watched Stealth last night. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Stealth. I'm, I'm sorry, I said Stealth Flight. I don't know why I always want to say Stealth. Yeah, Stealth. You did that on the last pod too. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it just before the last pod. You did. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you said oh, Stealth. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Stealth. It, yeah. It, it always yeah. is in my head. It's weird. Like it's not nearly the same movie. It's not even simpler, other than the fact that they involve a plane. But uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, one has got Jimmy Fox. Well, I got. Uh, here, here's to answer your question about uh, the Super Bowl mm-hmm. the challenge is that history says that the team with the better defense is going to win the Super Bowl. Mm. Okay. I think the 49ers probably have a better overall defensive cast, but I think the Chiefs may have a better defense. I don't look at the ratings, but I think that's close. So let's just say for the sake of argument, that's a wash. Mm. Well, then you got to look to who's who's the next best player, and far and away it's Patrick Mahomes. Mm. Um, And like... You know, Brock Purdy is a good quarterback for San Francisco. I think he is outplayed. He was the last person drafted in his draft class 
The title for him is Mr. Irrelevant. That's what everyone is the last <laughs> person in the draft gets. <laughs> to his credit, I mean, he is he is a very, very competent quarterback. He's good at reading defenses. He's got a great arm. Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey is their San Francisco's running back. He is he is a wild card too. Like he can be absolutely unstoppable. He shredded my Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles like we weren't even there, even though everyone started doing that after he did it. Um but the combination of Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and uh, uh, Travis Kelsey is that's just that's hard. Plus, they got a great running back in Isaiah Pacheco. Um, people say that he runs like he hates the earth, <laughs> and it's funny. Yeah, it's uh, it is funny to watch him run. But uh, I think I think it's going to be a good matchup. I think it's going to be a close football game. I think it's going to be low scoring, something to the tune of like twenty one seventeen Chiefs. Maybe twenty four, twenty one Chiefs, but something less than less than twenty six points for sure. So that's my prediction. It's a good one because I understood at least half of it. So thank you. That was mm. there. You go. But see, that's what we could also do with the First Amendment. Make it relatable. <laughs> exactly. Come on now. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> Aleem, what do you think? You co-sign that? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I see. I see. Um... I see it uh, being a, a sub-30 30, 30, uh, win, point win um, by the Chiefs. Yeah, that's what I see. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I can't All right, guys. Was that... I can't get more precise than that in my predictions. I... Fair mm. enough. John was, was precise enough for the entire panel, I think. <laughs> I think he got – the analysis was – Spot on. At least I, I, th- I look. You convinced me, and I don't know shit about <laughs> football. So there you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks as always, and thanks everybody for watching or listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and leave any comments or feedback in the comment section if you're watching this on YouTube. All right. Hashtag First Amendment. <laughs> Hashtag First Amendment. Peace. All right. Thanks, guys. Peace.